This is John Quinn, and this is Law Disrupted. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Courtney Bowman, who is the Global Director of Privacy and Civil Liberties at Palantir. And we're going to be talking about the very interesting subject of regulation of AI. And this is a timely subject because just this week, there was a letter published that was signed by hundreds of, by Elon Musk and apparently hundreds of AI developers who called for a six-month pause in the development of AI technology, saying that we don't know yet enough about what the risks are of developing what it called human competitive intelligence, uh, what this might mean for employment, what it might mean for deep fakes, fake news, manipulating information that people get, whether there's a potential for AI to, in effect, outsmart us, render us obsolete, replace us. These are all words actually used in this letter that these AI engineers wrote. Do we risk losing control of our civilization? And for all these risks or the unknowns, they have, they propose that we should have a six months pause in developing AI. This is probably beyond the scope of this discussion, Courtney. But I mean, what was your reaction to that when you saw that letter? I understand maybe the some of the intent behind sounding the alarms, especially given how much attention has been focused on recent AI developments, particularly in the space of generative AI, AI and large language models. My initial reaction, however, was that these types of red alert, stop everything um, motions tend to do more to exacerbate the hyperbole around this technology than they do actually calling attention to the real issues. Um, the extent to which these types of, of statements suggest that we actually are on the cusp of super intelligence, the singularity, real developments towards uh, artificial general intelligence, I, I think they actually are misleading and point us in a direction where the technology isn't yet and probably won't in the near future or medium future um, be on the horizon. So I tend to, when people ask me about this letter and similar statements, I tend to urge caution and suggest that, well, let's reground our discussions and make sure that we're all on the same page with respect to what the technology is capable of doing. And from that position, start to figure out whether the developments and the applications are really consistent with our value structures, can be grafted onto existing frameworks, or the extent to which we need to augment those regulatory, legal, um, and, and ethical frameworks. Can we build on what's already there, as opposed to stopping everything and, and, um, and saying that we need a full pause? Well, today we're going to talk about regulation of AI, and there are some, there's some regulation, actually really mostly proposed regulation, that's been promulgated by the EU, by some federal agencies in the US, even some states and New York City for that matter, and some countries around the world, all targeted, I mean, to the extent they are targeted to very specific types of applications. But before we get into talking about whether there's a need to regulate AI and what that might look like, it seems like a starting point is to define what artificial intelligence is. If we can't define what it is, it seems like it'd be pretty hard to draw up regulations. Yeah, I think I think that's that's right. It's one of the challenges of this type of technology that it, it doesn't lend itself to a singular definition. And over time, 
different forms of AI have been in the landscape of, of technology discussions um, and under development since the late 50s. So we've seen a series of developments in different formats, uh, starting with a, a sort of heuristics orientation where computer scientists and researchers attempted to codify rules of what was presumed to be human thinking and translate that into machine processes. That moved into different flavors of what's called connectivist AI, which is an, an attempt to um, build initial forms of, of artificial neural networks based on our understanding of neuropsychology and physiology. Um, and then that's gone through other permutations of what, what have been called expert systems. And then in the in you know the last 20 or so years, we've had discussions around predictive analytics and uh and big data in applications that that aren't that dissimilar from the things that we're talking about today as AI. So we we enter this landscape of a pretty mixed bag of different categories of um techniques for processing data, making predictions, and synthesizing what are presumed to be historically human-oriented tasks um, and decision-making. So broadly speaking, AI is a sort of scattered landscape of different definitions, different techniques, without much consistency other than this uh, general agreement that AI is attempting to replace or, or augment um, or synthesize human capacities. And then when you get into the technical specifics, AI can be anything from uh, an expert system to what I think a lot of the discussion is set around today, which is different categories of machine learning processes. Um, so leveraging advanced computing capabilities to make models that build off of large corpuses of data and that do different forms of prediction using statistical and computational techniques. Well, if we're going to have regulation of AI, I mean, ultimately, that's going to have to be embodied in some fashion in a working definition, which some regulator or legislature is going to have to draft and has going to be approved. And I assume, it, I gather from what you say, there's a lot of different definitions already out there to choose from. I mean, rather than debate the fine points of those definitions now, let's let's assume for the purposes of this discussion that we have agreed upon definition of artificial intelligence. And let me begin by asking you, you know, without getting into the apocalyptic scenarios about whether this is a threat to, you know, whether we're going to be able to continue to maintain control of our civilization, I understand you think that it's a little early to start worrying about that and coming up with regulations to address that possibility. Do you believe we are really are at a point now where it's sensible and maybe even important to talk about particular regulatory regimes that we should seriously consider implementing for regulating AI? I think it's sensible to start talking about regulatory regimes. My general position, however, is that what I referenced before about grounding the technology, we should think about what the limits are, are of the technology are and what it's actually doing. And I think the constructive reframing in this regard is to think about AI less as intelligence um, and more as tools or capacities. Um, so like any tools and capacities that are technology driven, they exist within specific contexts, within specific landscapes of, of application. And so what that lends itself to is the, the thought that regulation should be more directed at the systems level, thinking about what the technology is doing in a particular context, as opposed to trying to take this, what we were discussing a moment ago, is this kind of amorphous cluster of different technologies 
and then trying to, to wedge that into a regulatory framework. So that sort of thinking drives itself towards something that's closer to sectoral legislation or regulation, as opposed to trying to treat uh, the technology in amorphous terms as a kind of broad abstraction. So does that mean we'd be looking at potentially different types of regulation or different degrees of regulation, depending upon whether the AI is used, uh, for example, in healthcare or education or employment or insurance? We'd think in those terms in terms of what's the particular sector and application that it's that's being employed in. I think that's right. I, I, I think that the, the line of of, of reasoning here is let's look at what we're trying to do with a piece of technology and whether it's that piece of technology is artificial intelligence or big data or just data analytics. Let's examine what that technology is doing in the specific context, let's say health. And if we're talking about um, using data or computer processing or statistical techniques for making decisions or evaluations, let's examine each step of that decision-making process, examine the history of decisions, the procedural considerations that have historically played out, think about whether um, it makes sense in that context to replace a certain type of decision or inform a certain type of decision with an automated capacity as opposed to a traditional manual or analog capacity and then put that all back in the broader systems context of, uh, are we regulating the right components of the, that chain of decision-making? And is that, that chain of decision-making consistent with some of the existing frameworks that we have in place? So what I'm describing is maybe more of an incremental approach to working towards thinking about the technology in the historical landscape of each application, as opposed to saying, let's scoop up everything that we call AI and regulate it and try to regulate it across the board. Because if we do that, to come up with a comprehensive approach, what we end up with is something that's so abstract, so principles-oriented oriented, that it might give us a little bit of abstract ethical orientation, but we still have to do the work of applying it to every single application context. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, regulations of, say, of quote-unquote AI, we're going to regulate AI, it's kind of like saying we're going to regulate software. And now let's draw up some regulations for software, you know, just uh, not tethered to any particular application. Uh, and that in itself, I think it's pretty easy to see that that's, that's meaningless. That's not going to get us anywhere. But what would be an example, I'm sure you thought through this, of an instance where, okay, there's a good case for regulation. What would be an example of that kind of thought process that you just went through and coming up with a decision about whether to regulate it and what the regulation might look like. A great example might be something like facial recognition, which is a, a space where, as you noted, there's already some efforts, um, particularly at the local level in the U.S., to, to think about regulation. So facial recognition is a great example because it's a particular manifestation of a particular class of artificial intelligence. It's a, it's a type of computer vision technique that essentially uses uh, modeling to identify facial signatures that are mapped to an existing repository of, of other faces that have been labeled. And so facial recognition might be the sort of thing that we would accept uh, in the context of identification. So uh, when we want to log into our iPhones or when we're logging into a, to an application, and we know that uh, our particular facial ID is something that is secure 
and that we're comfortable providing for a specific end use case, that's something that we're comfortable with. But when it comes to applying facial recognition for, say, broad surveillance um, in the domestic setting for police activities where we don't know whether the police investigations or the other applications of public safety are consistent with our reasonable expectations of, of privacy, even in, in public spaces, we might have a lot more discomfort. So regulating facial recognition for, for broad surveillance um, in the domestic setting, I think, is something that, that people can understand and get behind, in part because we have some existing constructs about how we think about our biometric information as something that requires a higher threshold for use. Yeah, it's, so it's interesting that you referred to our values and our principles uh, and that we would we have to be attuned to that and make sure that AI is utilized and applied and regulated consistent with those principles. And I guess one thing, the principle of facial recognition, among other things, it's, it's privacy as a value, it's surveillance as a, as a value, it's autonomy as a value, uh, I mean, whatever you want to, however you want to label it, we don't want big government or, uh, or for that matter, other institutions tracking us and monitoring what we're doing. I think another example is uh, fairness in decision-making and non-discrimination. And this is the one that gets talked a lot about a lot when it comes, for example, to employment. How might regulation work in terms of employment and making sure that you know, we're not using AI to get biased results, for example, in employment decisions or similar examples, I suppose, would be insurance applications or applications uh, you know, to get an apartment or whatever. What might regulations look like in that area? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And I think it, it also goes back to the point of treating these considerations, these maybe values-oriented considerations in, in the appropriate context. Fairness is, is also a complex concept. And, and the way that fairness traditionally plays out or the way that we think about fairness um, in conjunction with concerns around uh, data bias or algorithmic bias, we have to think about fairness and, and bias as uh, as something that may have a, tr a, a tradition. So. A specific consideration here is bias in the health space. When we're talking about genetics evaluations, we actually want our computer algorithms that are evaluating genomic sequences to understand that there are historical patterns that relate to um, uh, or patterns in our genes and our genomic makeup um, that map to ethnicity, um, especially if we're predicting precursors to uh, uh, or propensities to uh, for specific diseases. On the other hand, if we're talking about statistical or algorithmic or um, data bias in the context of lending or mortgage uh, decision-making or, or other financial technologies, we're gonna be a lot more concerned about the procedural elements of, is an individual given a fair shake at potentially getting a loan or, or having access to some other financial instrument independent of genealogy or, or other inherent attributes? So, so bias is a, and fairness are kind of contextually determined considerations, and, and that's just the, the first part of the challenge here. Uh, even if we identify fairness or bias as a concern that needs to be represented or addressed through data or through algorithmic design, we then get in the question of what does that actually mean? There's a whole set of purported fairness metrics that um, statistically can be defined uh, but the challenge is that oftentimes they're inconsistent. We can think about fairness as 
an evaluation of across groups. We can look at it at, at, at a macro level across all the statistical population. We can look at it at the, at the individual level. The, the challenge is that fairness may actually, those different types of fairness metrics may actually be incompatible with each other. So it leads us to a position where we have to make some choices about what we're trying to optimize against statistically. And those choices come with trade-offs. And the trade-offs are ultimately political decisions that we as a society have to come to terms with based on our values orientation. So even the discussion of fairness comes back to you know, what are we trying to accommodate for? What are the history of maybe prejudices or um, or biases or or other injustices that we might try to account for? How do we factor that into the decision-making process? How do we make sure that the decisions that are rendered by algorithmic decisions are consistent with those considerations? And how do we make that explicit and transparent and legible to the population and communities that are impacted by these decisions? On the, uh, the simplest level, and the examples that are often cited, is that a, if you have a, if a algorithms, an AI system has been trained on a data set that is biased, for example, you know, white males of a certain age, and you use that data set to make decisions with respect to a much broader population, including women, people who are not white, people of different ages, that it can yield results that we would all agree are unfair and not consistent with the values that we have, that decisions be made not based on prejudice, not based on those factors, but just based on the capabilities of that individual. Now, if that's our goal, and we accept that as a value and something that we want to make sure our AI systems and decision-making comport with, what might a regulation look like that helps us achieve that goal? I, I think a regulation would want to address the specific parameters of, of the bias that we're trying to address. So even the example that you describe is, is a well-addressed example in the literature around computer vision and facial recognition. We've seen examples of facial recognition algorithms that have been tuned or trained largely on the faces and facial structures of, of white males and have produced pretty explicitly uh, biased results when applied to, to non-white males. So the, the, then the challenge of retuning that type of model to ensure that it's consistent across the board becomes a question of what's representative of the broader population? Do we have the data um, to be able to represent that population? Can we construct reliable metrics that can be reproduced in evaluation um, that can be explained to uh, the populations that are affected by the use of these tools and that we can all agree upon as um, consistent with the, the, the equal uh, or, or fair principles or values that we're trying to instantiate in the system. It actually turns out that that's a bit more complex um, and, and something of a non-trivial exercise to do in practice, but there are ways of doing it. And so the, the regulatory expectations that we would set would be something around explaining the decisions that are going into the, the, the choice of one metric over another, um, what that metric choice of that metric is as a metric that defines our notion of fairness, what that actually means in practice, how that plays out um, in terms of known instances of false detection or a false positive or false negatives, whether we're comfortable with those error rates, um, and also whether we can consistently ensure that the, the algorithm or the, the facial recognition tool 
is performing at the the measure that it originally was trained to perform at. So that's a question of of maintenance and persistence and ongoing value. So regulation would would touch on those different elements of trade-offs, measures that are chosen, evaluation, explainability of the system, and then get into longer-term considerations around the the maintenance of of the system. How do you ensure its endurability? How do you make sure that it's resistant to what we refer to in uh, in the space of machine learning and artificial intelligence as brittleness, the fact that these are software components that tend to degrade over time and that require consistent tuning to be useful. Some of the regulations or proposed regulations to address this problem of what's termed bias, bias decision-making with biased data sets, uh, provide that uh, if you're if you're going to use artificial intelligence to make these types of decisions, like employment decisions, you have to show that the data set has been audited, quote unquote, audited uh, to demonstrate lack of bias. And then periodically it must be audited again. And I don't, I haven't actually looked at the ordinances for the proposed laws, uh, but I'm kind of skeptical that they would be as subtle and nuanced as what you just described. I don't know if you're familiar with that proposed regulation. And, and I guess I'd ask, are you skeptical about the ability of the law and regulation to you know, define and implement the, this type of checks on, for want of a better term, called biased decision-making. Yeah, I, I am a bit skeptical. Uh, and, and where I've seen regulation or legislative attempts th- that I think get a little bit more closer to addressing the intent and concerns that, that I was speaking about earlier, the, the sort of sectoral considerations, um, is, is regulatory efforts that really try to capture uh, the the state of the of the existing industry or vertical or, or sector and and deal with the the regulatory considerations um, on on those specific terms where I think the the regulatory attempts tend to get tripped up is when they aim for both a principal level orientation and discrete specificity on every requirement that needs to play out I think that the either you choose one or the other. You you're, you you choose to regulate on a set of principles that you're trying to optimize around, or you choose to regulate on a on a discrete set of sectoral constraints that for which you may be able to describe exactly the types of trade offs or metrics that align with a specific application, like health, like facial recognition, like financial automated decision making. Uh, but when you try to optimize on both, um, you you tend to to run into some pretty significant issues and breakdowns. Now there may be a space for for an intersection between a broad uh, principles level approach and then providing some additional capacity for standards bodies like NIST to define specific sectoral considerations based on those principles. That's another approach that we've seen play out in some of the draft regulations and legislations, but as you pointed to, the, the landscape is a bit scattered right now, and it seems that uh, there's a, a, a number of different fractured approaches, none of which are yet are getting at uh, the, the exact kind of a perfect tuned approach to, to regulating this landscape. This application of a regulation of AI, though, seems to be inevitable. It's, I mean, it's the one example that people who have thought about this at all, all are aware of, the, the biased decision-making in employment and things that affect 
consumers and citizens. I mean, it does seem like this is something where if the data scientists and the artificial intelligence scientists are going to help, their voices really need to be heard in the Congresses and the legislatures and the committee rooms and in agencies to make sure that it's really understood that what you're trying to accomplish, you can accomplish. Yeah, I think that's I think you're right. It's bound to happen. The the question in my mind is whether that regulation gets baked into to other regulatory efforts or if there's an attempt like in the EU to create kind of a comprehensive regulatory framework for all of artificial intelligence. So you do see examples um, like the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, um, which is meant to be a, a kind of federal level comprehensive uh, reform for consumer data privacy that references some set of concerns around civil rights and, and algorithms. Um, so it's leaning towards the place of artificial intelligence and machine learning in carrying out things like bias decision making. So it's possible that some of these, some of the regulation, at least in the first pass, gets baked into other attempts to deal with more comprehensive challenges like data protection and, and privacy in the digital landscape. But I also think you're right that it's inevitable that there will be a drive towards regulating different flavors of artificial intelligence across the board. And I think what we're what we're seeing, uh, and this is this is uh, not a historical anomaly, is that on on the European side of the Atlantic divide, there's this broad attempt to, to build comprehensive AI regulation. On the, on the American side, we're, we're much slower and maybe much more methodical and much more sectorially oriented. So I do see it as more likely in the US that there's more momentum around the idea of regulating specific applications of, of AI in specific contexts and then building a body of legislation and regulation um, on those grounds. Another concern that's sometimes addressed, and maybe this reflects another fundamental human value, is the sheer opacity of AI decision-making, the whole black box phenomenon that, you know, this is a result I applied for this job, I didn't get the job, I'm not told why, or autonomous car, there's a black swan event, the car goes off the road, the data scientist will shrug his shoulders and say, it's machine learning. I can't tell you why. I mean, is this a problem? I mean, to, to me, this, this kind of thing lends itself to a real, you know, sort of populist political pitch along yeah. the lines of, we're not going to let our lives be run by algorithms. They can't tell us why we didn't get the job. They can't tell us why the car went off the road. Well, they need to design it in a way that they can tell us. Seems to me that is a really easy political pitch and something that which will resonate. And it's a huge challenge. It's it's a question of explainability or interpretability or the ability to break down the logic of the system and provide some measure of, of redress and accountability to people who are impacted by these systems. So the challenge is again a definitional one because the notion of explainability can take different forms. So, for example, explaining how a multi-level neural network machine learning algorithm makes a, an automated determination or decision that impacts someone requires a lot of math, a lot of computer science knowledge, is not generally accessible to a lay audience. So providing that level of explanation is probably not going to be accessible in a way that matters to people who are impacted. Um, and in fact, that level of explanation is is 
pretty opaque to people who are steeped in this industry. Even computer scientists struggle to make sense out of what a neural network is, is actually doing to make a determination. But what we can do is provide sort of what are referred to as localized um, explanations of how the system operates in a specific context. So you can do a bit of a, of a breakdown, a reduction of the, the specific factors that may have been most predictive in coming up with a particular recommendation um, or algorithmic decision, and then provide that as, as a signal of information that might be useful in explaining what happened um, and how a decision was made. But there are other ways of trying to control for, for these questions of accountability and, and machine learning, AI explainability. One is to put a human in the loop. Um, so the extent to which you have an algorithmic recommendation that's coming out of a, a complex system, that might be just one piece of the puzzle. But, but ultimately, the decision that's, uh, that's determined is a decision that's evaluated by a human agent who has to come to their own decision whether the algorithmic output is one that's consistent with policies that have been established and can be further en enacted and explained to people if there's, if there's a question uh, of, of recourse. Um, so there, there are ways of kind of stepping in and putting humans in the loop, um, but, but there's a, a, maybe even a broader kind of philosophical question or um, systematic or architectural question about the types of decision-making that we're comfortable with in different applications in different contexts. So for example, in, in justice, um, in, in criminal justice, we think about questions of procedural justice. There's a process that plays out that um, leads to consequences or results that impact human lives. And part of the, the, the system of justice is understanding each step of that process. But, it, but if we're trying to insert an algorithm into, for example, uh, pretrial recommendations about how long a person should be held um, in, in prison and putting an algorithm in the place of, of a, uh, a human judge making that determination, um, we may have completely short-circuited a type of justice that we care most about um, in a way that's detrimental to, uh, to, to the system's level evaluation of what we're trying to accomplish. So it's worth asking the question, what, what is it that we're trying to do? How is it that we're trying to, um, to implement decision-making in that process? Is that decision-making something that's additive? Does it detract from, from historical considerations or traditions? that figure into the type of society that we're trying to, um, to, to cultivate or preserve. And if we can't answer those questions credibly, we're going to run into the populist trap that you mentioned. Yes, I think we can you know, model till the cows come home sentencing recommendations based on big sets of data, recidivism rates, uh, and outcomes um, based on a lot, you know, large volume of criminal histories. And I, I just don't see the public ever being comfortable with the idea that the judge isn't going to make that decision, that, yeah. you know, that we're, ju we're just not going to turn that over to the artificial intelligence. Although, as you say, maybe the judge is the human in the loop. Maybe the judge gets this input, and that's one thing that the judge considers. And, and to be fair, judges also uh, instantiate bias. So there is a question of can algorithmic approaches be used as a potential check on, on bias of, of judicial authorities? Can that sort of augmented approach to pulling uh, a, an algorithmic system into that loop be a way to produce better results that either an algorithm alone or a judge alone would be less capable of producing? 
I think this whole issue of explainability is something that uh, we as a society and regulators are going to have to deal with. I mean, are you optimistic that there can be ways of uh, or tools, AI tools that can facilitate making determinations about explainability and that those can be embodied in regulations in some fashion? Or is this just a, a fool's errand? I hold some optimism that this is practicable uh, and, and there is credible research in this space and some some really good efforts to take some of the most complex approaches to artificial intelligence um, and produce methods of introspection, algorithmic introspection that make it more clear what the what the um, the AI is doing. I, I think the challenge for us is to get clear on the the regulatory side and the the sort of social acceptance side on what it is that we actually want from explanation or explainability of of AI and algorithms because if if we want to present a version of explainability that can provide a, a kind of accessible schematic of a of a complex neural network we're not going to get that but if we can come up with a localized definition that provides the right level of explainability to the right audience I think there are ways of doing that and producing regulation that point uh, systems engineers and programs that adopt these systems uh, in the in the right direction. And, and by the way, there, there may be multiple um, versions of explainability that are required for different contexts. We might we might require a certain type of explainability for a data subject or an individual in society that's impacted by the algorithm. And a different version that's maybe more sophisticated draws upon more technical knowledge by a regulator. So we should also think about that intersection of um, what we're trying to explain and the audience that we're trying to explain to explain it to, and then establish a set of of criteria that help um, systems designers and and programs and and engineers that adopt these systems to be able to leverage the existing research that I think is fairly credible and has some good solutions to be able to meet those definitions. Have you seen any uh, draft regulations or efforts to draft regulations that would capture a concept of explainability? There's certainly a lot of talk about explainability um, in regulation, draft re regulation, existing regulation. For example, the European uh, General Data Protection Regulation, Article 22, has explicit requirements for the ability to produce a, an account of the logic that impacts data subjects. Um, so that that's a call for some version of consumer-facing explanation of how automated systems impact in, individuals. You know, it doesn't get into the specifics about what that means, especially for, for complex systems. And there's a lot of debate and attempts and various recitations to try and get closer to what that logic should entail, but but that's one example. I, I think the other proposed regulations, like the European AI Act, builds on this concept uh, and tries to to get closer to the different dimensions of, of explainability and interpretability. Um, but by and large, I, I I tend to see across some of the draft regulation that this concept gets glossed over and it's maybe treated as one consideration that isn't really fleshed out in terms of what it means to practice a, a form of explainability that makes sense, that meets the specific requirements, um, that establishes a set of criteria of what we want to define or explain and give some clear guidance about how that should be done in practice. 
It strikes me that that is true of most of the writing that's done about regulation of AI. It all seems very much on a abstract level discussion of general principles and goals and the like, but very little in the way of efforts to actually see what that would look like in terms of enacted regulations and laws that would uh, affect companies and AI engineers actual behavior, what this would look like when you actually try to draft something to capture these concepts. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And you know, part of that comes back to a general misunderstanding, a, a set of category errors or or misconceptions about what it is that AI is doing, um, how it can be applied in, in different industries and sectors. When we're is, you know, going back to your earlier question, when the first point of encounter on AI questions or concerns is a sort of hyperbolic account of we need to pause everything because AI is about to become sentient and uh, play out a, a Terminator type scenario, the reaction is we, we have to deal with this amorphous concept immediately um, rather than take a step back and figure out what are the specific concerns that play out in the specific arenas where the, the technology is being deployed, what's the reality of its deployment, of its current capabilities, um, and how do those realities relate to our own understanding of, uh, of um, historical attempts to regulate those industries, and then how can we build a, a sensible framework for at the systems level to understand where this one component of technology fits into a broader chain of managing data, processing data, having information systems that produce results that are evaluated as part of a still very human-centric um, uh, framework for, for most applications and most places where AI is even being considered. Another value or concern that's often expressed about AI is privacy. I mean, we talked earlier about facial recognition but AI also depends on huge data sets, collecting information often from many, 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 many people. And that itself is seen as a potential risk for privacy values and private rights of privacy, these huge assemblages of data. I mean, do you think it's fair to see that as a, as a privacy issue or how should we think about that? It's certainly a sizable privacy issue. And, and one piece of it comes down to in the development of artificial intelligence, the presumption is data is kind of at the core of, of uh, engineers' ability to, to construct these systems. A lot of the machine learning techniques are reliant on massive corpuses of, of data. Uh, and so the challenge is, where does the data come from? And if, if the data is broadly available, open source, um, or if it comes from specific enterprises or institutional practices um, that may be protected, or consumers or citizens aware of how that data is being used to build these systems? Have they had an opportunity to consent to, to having their information be built into uh, a machine learning process? Um, do they have the capacity to opt out? Um, do they have the ability to retract whatever contribution their, their personal information has made um, to, to the building uh, of a system? And, and there's even more kind of complex and to some degree untested questions around even with with data sets that are openly available that are that are open source, for example, publicly available social media data. Um, are there reasonable expectations of privacy, even in the, the virtual public arena, such that 
companies that seek to build artificial intelligence algorithms on top of um, the social media data still require some consent or some consumer involvement before they're able to harness that data, collect it, and use it to, to train a model. So there's all sorts of, of, of kind of preliminary questions around privacy uh, in the construction of, of, of AI machine learning algorithms. Um, and then the, the, the problems get even more challenging when it comes to the application of those, of those algorithms to specific individual cases. What's the person's uh, capacity to, to have a, a right to redress, uh, to, to understand how a specific algorithm has impacted decisions that they uh, that impact their or, or influence their, their lives? Um, is there a way to opt out of the decision-making process based on, on algorithmic um, uh, systems or machine learning? Or are we all sort of stuck in this, this situation where we have to accept the fate that's delivered by, uh, by an algorithm? It strikes me that one of the challenges in thinking about regulating AI is, is the sheer pace and speed of change. If you agreed with those AI engineers and, and Elon Musk who wrote that letter, let's say you, you were a legislature, a drafter of regulations, you agreed with that. And you thought, well, I'm going to take pen to paper and I'm going to address this right now. I, I don't even know how you begin to deal with that legally. They asked for a pause, like a voluntary pause. But suppose that was really regarded as a an existential threat. I mean, I don't know how the law gets its arms around responding to that. If we did decide as a society that it makes sense to put a pause on development of, of these technologies, I, I think that one of the critical tasks would be, let's take all of our policymakers and educate them on, on these systems. Um, give them a crash course on what, for example, generative AI is doing, and, and then methodically go through the landscape of how these information systems work, how they build on, on corpuses of data, um, how those, those models that are, are trained produce results, um, how those results differ from what we think about as intelligence in the human sense. Um, so you know, take the example of large language models. Large language models aren't doing a form of thinking or human uh, cognition, what they're doing is a type of statistical or stochastic prediction. They're predicting the next set of tokens or words in, in a sequence based on a corpus of data of other texts that have been evaluated. Um, that's a very different exercise from understanding interactions with the world, understanding what facts are, um, being able to check uh, statements against reality. Um, so breaking down some of those concepts to, to regulators and pol policymakers and getting them to understand those kind of basic technical nuances, how they translate into a framework of understanding, how the, the risk of anthropomorphizing these technologies can create a sort of hyperbolic environment. I think that would be a useful exercise. It wouldn't be exhaustive of the things that we need to do to get to a better understanding of the regulatory landscape. But I would say that's one of the essential pieces that I would want to see played out um, if we were to, to take a pause. And by the way, that, that should happen regardless of, of whether there, there is a, um, an effort to, um, to push the pause button on, on AI development. I think we do need to put a lot of effort into uh, educating society and specifically law, lawmakers and policymakers uh, about the technologies um, get them up to speed on some of these the, these realities and give them some of the basic proficiencies to to have more informed public discussions that drive at better regulatory attempts.
AI is being deployed uh, so significantly in so many different sectors for different applications by different companies and individuals around the world. I have the sense that the pace of deployment is much greater than anybody really realizes. Now, most of that is probably non-controversial, uh, you know, not human facing, like optimizing industrial processes or you know, supply chains for the like that nobody's going to get really excited about that. There's a lot of companies now that are making decisions about AI deployment at a, at a time where there's talk about regulation of AI, a lot of agreement, I think, that it's going to come, that there's going to be a regulatory, significant regulatory AI landscape, say, three, five years from now. What advice would you have to companies that are deploying AI now to deploy it in anticipation of regulation? Is there anything they should be thinking about? Any tools they should be developing, or are there any shortcuts or things they can protect themselves uh, to in order to be able to be compliant down the road? You mentioned a number of non-controversial applications of the technology, but there but there are also a lot of garbage uh, implementations of of the technology. Um, simply speaking, claims to to carry out artificial intelligence functions that just don't work. And we've already seen the the FTC uh, issue some warnings uh, against um, the promulgation of AI snake oil. I, I would issue that as a point of caution to companies who are trying to jump on the AI bandwagon. Um, that at some point, um, some of the hot air out of this this hype cycle is going to be released, um, and there's going to be a, a bit of a backlash. Um, that backlash can play out in a number of different ways it can it can play out as regulatory action against companies that have made false declarations or have um have carried out processes or activities that have produced real harms to individuals um but i think there's a bigger concern around the sustainability of this marketplace because if there's there's a lot of companies that are trying to push ai technologies just because it's the latest sexy thing to 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 utilize not because it's actually efficacious or produces meaningful results, you're going to see a big backlash against the, these companies' abilities to perform their functions. Um, they're going to, there's likely to be a, a drying up of, of funding for these types of ventures. And uh, these, a lot of these companies are probably going to disappear. So, so my general point of guidance would be methodically build out the applications that you have in mind, make sure they work before you promote them in, in a way that puts you too far ahead of your skis, uh, produce results that you can speak to, uh, and, and think about the fact that there's going to be growing concern, growing legibility into uh, the misappropriation of these technologies or misuse of these technologies, uh, and growing calls for accountability through regulatory measures. So, so prepare for that environment, have a clear plan, um, but you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself that AI is, is some kind of panacea that's going to solve all of society's problems or address all of the spaces of technology innovation. I think it's a useful tool. There's a lot of powerful applications, but if you want to future-proof your enterprise against some of these risks, have a grounded plan for, for what you can do uh, and, and build your enterprise or build your, your company around that plan. Thank you, Courtney. You've been listening to Law Disrupted with me, John Quinn. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, lawdisrupted.fm. If you enjoyed the show, please share a link on social media and follow at JBQ Law or at Quinn Emanuel. Thank you for tuning in.
Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com. Thank you.